Welcome to Arash's World. Today we have a special guest, Dr. John F. Dolan. Uh, welcome to Arash's World. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. So um, we're going to start with the tough questions first, the toughest one first, which is how would you describe yourself? Myself? Yes. Well, uh, I'm a husband, father, grandfather, uh, retired psychologist, and uh, a two-time author now. <laughs> Great. Yes. And you've uh, been in clinical psychology for over 40 years, 40 plus years. Yes, I, I retired in 2017 after 40 years in practice. So you've decided to write, uh, especially the latest book that I have is Focused uh, Positivity, The Path to Success and Peace of Mind. Right. Let's talk about your book. So um, what, uh, what is your focus here on uh, this? I mean, positivity, but how can we achieve success and peace of mind? What are some of your suggestions? Well, what I've tried to do is to uh, present the essentials of change in the simplest, uh, easiest to adopt method possible. So I, I've tried to leave out anything that's uh, confusing or unnecessary. You know, when I listened to your recent interview with Sarah Payton and I was found myself nodding my head as she, because I was agreeing with a lot of what she was saying, but also I found myself a little dismayed when she would talk about things that were confusing, uh, things like, you know, the contracts we form during our infancy and that kind of thing, because uh, that, that just kind of confuses the issue. What I try to do in my book is to boil down, boil down the elements of change to the bare minimums and then present a guide to uh, accomplish those. Mm -hmm. That's a great point because I um, I often had a negative view of positive uh, psychology. And the reason of that was I, I felt that it's uh, trying to deal with things that, uh, because we don't have that much control over many parts of ourselves and even our thinking, our emotions and so on. So for me, um, what has been more appealing was is, is psychoanalysis. But um, once I, I, I listened to a lecture by Martin Seligman and his focus on things like agency and choice and reframing things and imagination and just being, seeing that you can make a difference in the world, that is very important. So I completely agree with that. So I'm shifting more towards uh, uh, towards accepting it and seeing its its benefits as well. But I think there's also combination between when we look at our thinking and also the unconscious, and that is coming as being more accepted by, uh, by positive psychology, if I'm correct. Well, there's not much we can do about our unconscious. <laughs> exactly. But, but acknowledging is, is so important. And I think for a long time under CBT, it was not really acknowledged or not given the uh, space it needed, the recognition it needed. And I think with our neuroscience, with uh, what with advances we've had, now we do accept it more in mainstream in, in, in psychology and science as well. well. There's no question that we're all very complicated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it was Walt Whitman that once said, uh, I am lar large, I contain multitudes. And he, what he was referring to the fact that we have a lot of competing motivations going on all the time. Um, but the, the, 
there's a lot of those that we don't have any direct control over. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of different treatments that will help us. You know, psychoanalysis can help us, mm -hmm. but, you know, desensitization can help us. There are a lot of different treatments that can help us, but when they help, they all help for one reason. They change the focus of our thoughts. They change the, a thought that we're focusing on. So if when psychoanalysis helps you, it's because you've come to this conclusion that, oh, I wasn't responsible for what happened, what my father did in my, and what happened in my early childhood family. You know, you change, the thought changes in your mind and that's what makes a difference. So we don't need all the elaborate, uh, you know, trappings that go along with psychoanalysis to arrive at that change. Uh, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy is the only treatment form that is evidence-based. There was a huge study done published in the Annals of Psychiatry in 2018. They looked at almost 400 studies involving more than 9,000 different subjects and, and behavior, behavioral cognitive, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy was effective in treating anxiety, depression, and a number of other conditions. And nothing else, no other treatment form has ever had that kind of validation in research. Uh, what I've tried to do is take the elements of cognitive behavioral therapy and present them in a way that a person can apply them themselves uh, and, and give a step-by-step -step explanation of how you can do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the, the focus in there because focus makes me think of, of mindfulness, of awareness, of presence. All of these things uh, I think are hugely important for it. Am I correct in, in, in seeing it that way? Mindfulness is the first step. You, you have to be aware, you have to become aware of what thoughts are going are in your self-talk. Mm -hmm. But until you do that, you can't make any changes. Mm -hmm. But so that's the first step is to start examining our self-talk when, when we're distressed, when we're feeling inhibited uh, for, for, and try to find the thought that is, that is leading to our, our, our negative emotion uh, or, and then once we have identified that, to tr try to construct alternatives, balanced and reasonable alternatives. The thoughts that cause us to become distressed without inspiring any constructive action are what I call dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. they, they, they hurt us and don't do any good. And we tend so the to goal, have a lot of them. So we tend to have a lot of them. And that's oh, yes, yes. like autopilot. Yes. The negative That's the number one source of, of human misery, I think, yes. is this, the fact that we have these dysfunctional thoughts and we're not even aware. They're, like you said, they're automatic often mm -hmm. because what happens, what determines which thoughts spontaneously come into our minds is not in our control. It's based on our genetics and it's based on our early life experience. And when those two things have led us to become cynical about life or critical of ourselves, our thoughts tend to be dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. uh, e and even people who don't have that can have a lot of dysfunctional thoughts because of the negativity bias. You know, we, are, we, we tend to focus on what frightens us or uh, angers us most. And each negative thought we think about harms us more than twice as much as these positive thought helps us. <laughs> so the negative negativity bias uh, creates the, the, these negative dysfunctional thoughts, even in people who don't have this natural inclination to be negative. 
And it, it was part of our evolution. And that kind of like comforted me that it's not me. It's just how we evolved. And it was necessary to accentuate the negativity so we can survive. I mean, exactly. this was a mechanism that was there. But once you recognize it, as you're saying with mindfulness, we can move on and not be like uh, intimidated by it or, or stopped yes. by it. Yeah. Yeah. We, if once we recognize that a thought is dysfunctional, that it's, it's causing distress or inhibiting us in some way, uh, without any without any benefit, uh, then we can start looking for alternatives. The problem with dysfunctional thoughts is that they're usually uh, incomplete, unreasonable, or completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, what we the goal is to find an alternative thought that is more balanced and reasonable, that uh, inspires hope, that motivates us, and that reassures us. Um, and then, and then try to focus on that. One, one of the goals, one of the things I point out in my book is that we want, we don't, we want, once we've identified the dysfunctional thought, we, we want to burn it. We want to, we want to destroy it and never look at it again. Because the more, more you look at it, the more, the more you examine it, the more your attention is focused on it, the more it's going to harm you. So we want to, we want to put all the positive thoughts in the place where we're going to be looking, and we want to get the, the dysfunctional thoughts off the table. But are they off the table? Can we really eliminate that? Because my idea, of my uh, experience of psychoanalysis is it's going to stay there. And oh, they, so they come back. You, yeah. They come but, back. Oh, yeah. But can we, yeah, can they, we like root it out, weed it out, and just well, they'll, get they'll keep rid of knocking, it once and for all? They'll keep knocking on the door. Yeah. <laughs> but, but every time they, they come into our minds, we can you know, re refocus our attention mm -hmm. back on something else. It's a conscious, it's a matter of recognizing, oh, here's that dysfunctional thought. I'm going to instead focus on this other idea that I've already identified that's going to help me more. A lot of it is connected to our brain too, to neuroscience. I think the, the amygdala would take over the hijack and we can't think and reason. But once we can, we can relax that, then we can move to our higher functioning parts of our brain. And I think that is, that is important to also recognize when you're in that state of fear, it's so hard to think rationally, act rationally. And so to be aware of that too, I think. Yes, right. When we're acutely emotional, our our brains aren't operating at full capacity. So yeah, how can so we how can we release that and not be uh, not uh, get caught in its grip? Basically, when we feel those strong emotions. Well, the the goal is to be able to calm ourselves. That's, there's a whole section of my book that's on relaxation, healthy relaxation. Mm -hmm. I've got several relaxation inductions in the book. Uh, you know, I've spelled them out literally. They're to be recorded and played back. Uh, probably the easiest one is what what's called the square breathing pattern, where you just start inhaling very gradually and slowly, pausing, exhaling slowly and gradually, pausing, and repeating that. And now, if you repeat that, it will force your body to calm down. Now, it's, it's really hard to nowadays when we talk about negativity and you turn on the news and it is just we've gone through a very difficult time period. So it's, it's really hard to, to, to turn that off. So how do we deal with that also when our surrounding is just so stressful? Yeah, well, again, we have no control over what goes on out there in the world. Mm -hmm. So we have to focus on try to focus on what we have some control. And 
So the first thing you think about is, well, what can I do? Well, we're kind of limited in our options, right? We could, we, I guess we could go sign up and volunteer and try to go over and fight, or we could try to donate something, or we could try to lobby our government, or maybe all we can do is try to take care of ourselves and the people we care about. I mean, you know, that, that may be all we can do. And once we've done anything, we, any, any step that seems logical and rational, uh, we're always left with that final challenge about how, how do we uh, make ourselves comfortable with the reality that's, that exists in the world. <clears throat> and that gets back to these ideas again, the same thing, trying to find a positive thought, uh, a balanced and reasonable positive thought uh, that, that we can focus on when we become distressed about the warnings. Uh, you know, I, I, I just recently wrote an article about that, in fact, um, and I, some of the ideas that I, that I mentioned are things like uh, the realities of life are often difficult to understand, and often the best we can do is to just do what seems best within our small, small sphere of influence. Uh, as horrifying as the realities of life may be, the most I can do uh, is contribute what's reasonable and focus my attention and energy on caring for the people I care about. You know, um, and then other things too we can think about, about uh, uh, the fact that, you know, they, the Ukrainians are tough. They're tough people. They're, the, the survivors are somehow gonna cope with this and get through it. Uh, you know, and another thought that helps sometimes is the fact that the biggest loser hopefully will be Putin. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are thoughts, even though it's war is always a, always a horrible thing. There are thoughts. Some thoughts are more functional than others. And I think also always being realistic about things, like how things are, because and that's that was my misconception at the beginning of of positive psychology that it was wishful mm -hmm. thinking, and it's not. You do acknowledge the situation. The, yeah. the world we're living in and now we deal what can I do and it's quite limited as you're saying and I think one thing that does happen though many people uh, blame others and victimization where they say I'm a victim and I don't think that really helps it's really like accepting what can I do in this situation instead of like harboring on blame yeah blaming doesn't help but but recognizing that we're all victims can help okay <laughs> <laughs> because it can lead to some kind of self-forgiveness, you know, and some and charity. If you recognize that, in many ways, we are victims of our experience because we didn't we didn't control it. We didn't we didn't set up all the factors that have influenced us. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have tragedies in their life didn't bring that about. Mm -hmm. You know, they just happened to them. They, and if they can, so a positive thought for them would be just that they had they were just unfortunate. You know, they, they, were, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was a misfortune. Pe people that are doing really well in the world have been very fortunate. People that are doing very badly have been unfortunate. It's, you know, that's, so that, that's a, what, and it is important to acknowledge these things and then to look for the little glimpses of positivity that you could still find uh, in the world. 
Optimism is hugely important, even when things are going really badly. And I was yeah. talking my my previous podcast was with Robert A. Jensen, who who goes to a, this crisis management, and he went to all the these horrible events, natural disasters, 9-11, Obama City bombing, and so he would respond to them. And I was quite surprised in, in, in a very, very positive way that he's quite optimistic, despite seeing the worst parts of humanity, the worst parts of natural disaster, death and destruction, mayhem, but it still is hopeful. And I think that is hugely important, no matter how bad things are and look, to always be optimistic about it. Yes. Well, there's always the possibility of sharing a laugh with a good friend. There's, <laughs> there, there's always the possibility of being hugged by your grandchild. You know, there, those, those things are, are still there, no matter how bad everything else seems. Mm -hmm. And he's just saying it's, it's a focus on uh, what do we focus on and not be um, swayed by all the negativity that is around us. I mean, both do exist, but we can choose where we're looking at, what our focus is. Exactly. We, we, we can make a decision to focus on something that's going to make us feel better and inspire our best efforts, inspire us to do as well as we can. Um, you know, the, the one step that has been found to be most helpful in brightening your mood for the entire day is to review a list of the things you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. Just that, that simple exercise takes five minutes has been found to have lasting effects for the whole day. So that, that's an example of the power of, of positive thinking. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you have the uh, you have the title "The Path," which I like because I see it as as a journey path. I love the word path, um, but you're equating success and peace of mind. Do they really go together, or could they be mutually exclusive? I well, it's a, I, ha I have to admit, when I first wrote the book, I did not have success in the title. Mm. I wrote it as the path to peace of mind. Mm. But what is success, if not peace of mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what more can, can you want out of life mm -hmm. than peace of mind? If oh, you yeah, have, I completely agree, yes. If you have peace of mind, you have everything. Yes. Yeah, so, but, but also, you know, the, the thing is that the same dysfunctional thoughts, the thoughts that disrupt our peace of minds are the ones that inhibit us from making our best efforts to accomplish our goals. So it worked, it work, the two go hand in hand. I'm gonna do, tomorrow I'm gonna do a podcast on perfectionism and the imposter syndrome. And so the imposter syndrome is something that is uh, affecting pretty much all of us in many, or many of us. And uh, I, was, I was surprised to hear that Tom Hanks suffers from imposter syndrome. And it, it's, it's that thing where no matter how successful you are, there is that voice that tells you you're a fraud, you're not good enough. And so um, what can we do about that? What are your uh, experiences? Well, I, of that? I think we just accept it and, and feel fortunate that we're and able we're, to pull it off. <laughs> and not getting caught? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you... Basically, if you can look at Tom Hanks, he's a good mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. He may feel an imposter, but nobody else in the world thinks he's an imposter. He, you know, he, he's pulled it off. He should just, he should just go with it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But will he have peace of mind, though? I mean, for me, it's well, like, that's it depends constant. what he focuses on. It depends yeah. what thoughts he focuses on, yeah. right? Yeah. If he, uh, I can write, I could write Tom Hanks of a couple of pages of ideas to focus on to make him feel good. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. And so um, I see also like a lot of the negative experiences that we have make us so much stronger. And it's the idea of also resilience, because once you've gone through these experiences, no matter how horrifying they are, it gives you strength. And I think that's, I always see the silver lining there, even though, I mean, it's, it's really hard to accept that when you're in that moment, but um, I've learned most things from suffering. And when I was not suffering, that's when I learned the least in terms of life lessons. Well, what, what, what horrible experience, you know, the psychologists have a, research psychologists have a term called adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. ACEs, that mm -hmm. uh, it means, you know, horrible things that happened to you in childhood. Uh, and when those happen to us, uh, you know, the, they, they do have an, a, a major effect. They, they, they cause us much be much more likely to be think negatively of ourselves, to have, you know, all these dysfunctional thoughts that make us depressed and anxious. But they also make us much more understanding and sensitive and aware, you know, and, and, and you can, I even in the book, there's a list of uh, functional thoughts for people who, who've been through those kind of experiences. And they're things like, uh, you know, this, my, you know, my, it was unfortunate that I experienced this, but it's allowed me to see how the world is. And, and I, and to see that even this kind of thing can be used as motivation for creativity, for uh, compassion, for generosity. Uh, for connection, companionship, you know, uh, that, that's why self-help groups can be so powerful. Mm -hmm. It's because you connect with other people who have the same kind of thing and same kind of experience. And, and you say, I'm okay and you're okay. You know, we're, we're both okay, even though we went through this. Yeah. And, and we would see that shift too in terms of mental health and the stigma that was attached to it. I'm feeling that it's, it's people are much more open to talk about their issues, their problems, their suffering, even through social media where people are sharing uh, personal issues and in the media yes. and all that. Well, you've probably noticed that shame doesn't get us very far. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> shame is a big, is one of the big enemies, you know, and that's what happens. People have horrible experiences that weren't their fault at all. And they feel shameful about it. And no one deserves that. No one deserves to feel ashamed about something that happened to them. Yeah. Uh, so once you can start to, to see what happened to you in terms that aren't shameful, you know, that I was in the wrong place in the wrong time, uh, you know, this happened to me, it wasn't my fault. You know, especially when you're children, when, when are children responsible? When are children responsible for what adults do them to do to them? Never. <laughs> no, it's the it's the other way around, right? The adults are always the ones responsible for what happens in their interactions with children. Yeah. So you know, there's no you. I think we can get beyond shame if you can focus on those those uh, interpretations, those ideas. If you can get your self talk, you know, self talk is so important. It's that stream, that never ending stream of ideas that passes through every waking moment. Um, and, and when these dysfunctional thoughts pop up, if we don't challenge them, they just invade our, our self-talk and they take it over. And so if we can identify them and challenge them, then we can, we can have some control over the content of our self-talk. 
Yeah, I've taken a, a course, online course uh, with, uh, that Dr. Nisbet, uh, Richard Nisbet was was teaching. And he talks about the sunk uh, cost uh, fallacy, sunk cost fallacy, yeah. where we are. Uh -huh. And I think we can relate it to our personal lives too, because we, we do like all these bad things that happened to us in the past and all these like maybe effort that we wasted, energy that we wasted and time. We can start anew and we should start anew and just say, okay, that was the past. Now let's move forward on a new clean slate. And that gives me... A, a sense of optimism, like just leave the past behind, no matter how bad it was. You know, one of the things that I found most helpful when I was practicing to, to one of the pieces of information that was most helpful to impart to clients was the idea that each of us does what seems to us in the moment to be for the best. Mm -hmm. Even when, even people that do horrible things at yeah. that moment, for some reason in their mind, that seemed like the best thing to do. Because uh, what it does is it helps us to forgive ourselves mm -hmm. and forgive others too. You know, we we have a we do we are very judgmental. You know, we we will we will blame others and it, partly you know it's a it's a defense mechanism and helps us to feel better about ourselves to put somebody else down. Mm -hmm. But compassion is really what's what's called for in almost every case um, because people are what they've become uh, without their control. You know, they didn't, nobody set out to become bad. Mm -hmm. You know, people have gotten that way because of an interaction between what they were born with and how life treated them. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, there was a story a few years ago, I think her name was Susan Smith. She was a woman who drove her car into a lake oh, yes. with three children yeah. in the back seat and yeah. drowned the, her children. And there was a big controversy because she didn't get the death penalty. People were outraged that a mother who would drown her three children didn't get the death penalty. Well, then somebody wrote out a one-page biography of Susan Smith and passed it used it as an experiment. They passed it out to some people and not to other people, and it gave the other people something else to read. And then they found the people who read her life story no longer wanted her to have the death penalty. Hmm. I mean, she was she she was raised by an incompetent mother who got a boyfriend who started sexually abusing her when she was 11 years old. She, the courts found out about it. They took her away from the home. Somehow she ended up back in the home and it all, it all started up again. When she was 17, she finally escaped from the home and the sexual abuse. When, a, when she got a boyfriend, this boy, older guy who took on, but he, but then she had three kids and he was going to leave her if she didn't, because of the kids, you know, so once you hear a story like that, you, you, un, you have a little more compassion for, for mm -hmm. someone. Yeah, compassion too, but there, there's a choice. I mean, people, many people suffer and have these trauma, traumatic um, childhoods, but they don't turn into killers and assassins and so on. So it's it's really also like accepting, and that's my point here, the responsibility that we have in our actions, what we say and what we do, and We're not be, become a victim, kind of like in between. And some people are dealt with really difficult, really bad cards, basically. <laughs> But mm -hmm. the difference between the people that do the really bad things and the people that go on, that find responsibility and don't is good fortune. <laughs> I mean, some people 
never. But you make fortune too at the same time. I mean, I, I see it. Now, now, you, now you're suggesting that people are responsible for their own luck, and I don't, I don't, I think you're wrong there. Okay, because I, I, think I like Susan, one, I mean, yeah. when people do really bad things, mm -hmm. it, it's as though she, at some point, she should have done something different. She was, she was doing her best to cope all, all during that time. And she didn't have the breaks she needed. People need breaks to, to discover responsibility. They need some kind of input. They need somebody who cares, who makes an effort. You know, when, when, when we don't have a model, a mentor, we, 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 you know, even who, you know, people can really be bad all their lives and then they, somebody can save them, you know? And like, there's so many biblical stories like that, right? Yeah, but I think of the children. I mean, I would see them. They are the real victims, and uh, yes. and and it's 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 oh, horrendous. Yes, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yes. So it's it's kind of I think it's kind of in between though. I think people do have a certain amount of agency. That's what I liked about uh, Dr. Solomon's talk. It, the idea of once we accept agency and we have a choice, we have two choices: either like stagnate and be stuck, or move forward. And we see through the history, through uh, the different phases that we've gone through from like in evolution to to today, and even today we have a choice and. In many ways, people choose the comfort zone. People choose apathy and ignorance. And I but think in many cases, it's a choice, though. But people can't be responsible if they don't recognize that there's a choice. If or they, they never... don't want to recognize, because that's they the other thing. People... See, well, uh... now, now we're, now we're, want to recognize, if, the, if you never, if, then they're deluded, right? Yeah. If they don't want Yes. You mean subconsciously they don't want to reckon, but oh. if it's going on subconsciously, then there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you have to have recognition before you can change. And, and that's the thing. What I found many people when they say they want to stop smoking or stop drinking, the will needs to be there, the willpower. And um, whether, again, I, I think it's possible, and that's my optimism there, that we can change things, even if things are really bad. Well, that's another section of my book. Yeah. Uh, because the admirable qualities like willpower, willpower and self-discipline, resilience, mm -hmm. uh, we tend to think of them as something you either have or you don't have. A lot of people think you're born with it or born without it. Mm -hmm. My book, what I presented the book, is what, what the research shows is that there, there are strategies you, <laughs> that you can learn to display those qualities if you find an effective strategy. You know, they did these experiments with children where they uh, put them down in front of uh, two cookies and they said, if you, uh, or no, one cookie. And mm -hmm. then they said, if you don't eat that cookie in the next five minutes, I'll give you two. <laughs> and some kids could do it, some kids couldn't do it. But yeah. then afterwards, they were able to teach kids strategies so they could all, all do it. They could all succeed. Mm -hmm. And, and, Believe it or not, that leads to a difference. Teaching kids strategy like that they can have a lifelong difference for them. But if they, nobody ever teaches, if they never learn the strategy, then they, they don't do well. Mm -hmm. So learning strategies is key. And that's what I presented in the book, is strategies. There's a strategy that will help each of us be able to, to look as though we have willpower, to look as though we have self-discipline. You just have to find the right strategy. And that's what focus positivity is. It's a strategy for improving your, your mood, 
and your uh, your motivation. Well, when we look at the world today, I feel like people are very angry and frustrated. And so we see the anger come out, whether it's through social media or in-person interactions and so on. So um, what twofold questions, where does this anger come from and what can we do to deal with it, whether uh, from that person or from our point of view? Well, it sounds like you're talking about a lot of anger at the fact that the world won't conform to our wishes. That's true. And, you know, so that that, that leads me to think about Buddhist philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Let the, you know, the, we waste a lot of energy hope, wishing that the world would conform to our wishes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if we can get off of that, if we can let that motivation go, put set that motivation aside and adopt a different motivation, a motivation of approaching the world with respect, uh, then then we can start to you know get gain some peace and and be at peace with the world. But when you want the world, you know, I mean, you can, we can all try as hard as we can to make the world conform to our wishes, but there's no guarantee we're going to succeed. And one thing that always comes up in the, in my my talks and my podcasts is the serenity prayer and that that wisdom of knowing that difference is like what can I do and what is outside of the realm of what I can do. So oh, yeah. and that is so hard to to figure out. But it's if we really focus on just our own abilities and our own situation and kind of try to work towards others and find peace within ourselves and then spread it out. I think that is the best uh, approach. Yeah, I think the serenity prayer is one of the most powerful elements of the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. you know, because and I think we can apply to to any life. I mean, to our regular oh, lives, yes. everyday lives as well, oh, not yeah, just uh, any addiction. And addiction comes in many forms, too. We, we see it. I mean, uh, the focus is mainly on, on people talk about drugs uh, as well as alcohol. But it's like you can be addicted to your work, workaholics, or addicted to, to video gaming or to exercise. So it's just like different facets of it. And, and addiction, if, you know, the, the definition of addiction uh, usually implies um, something negative. Mm -hmm. You know, there has to be some bad result mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm totally addicted to exercise. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't feel well unless I do my workout. Mm -hmm. You know, then I'm, then I'm set, I'm fixed for the day. Mm -hmm. It's my fix. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, it doesn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. I, I guess if, if I went overboard, and so that I was hurting myself, oh, then it would it. be a problem. Then it would be an addiction, I guess. Mm -hmm. But now it's just a, a good habit. <laughs> and and I mean, coffee is fine. I'm addicted to it, and I'm uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Coffee's good. For, you know, up to as long as you don't drink more than six cups a day. No, <laughs> I have my limits and for... my time limits as well. After a certain hour, I don't drink anymore, and it's it's been working fine. You know, there Thank is you... actually a, a diagnosis, yeah. caffeinism. Oh, there is? DSM. Yes. Okay. See, it, it's six cups or more a day is the, the limit. I, I'm at two, so I should be oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. John F. Tholen. Such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, your book, again, I want to remind uh, our viewers and uh, audience, uh, Focused Positivity, The Path to Success and Peace of Mind. That's yeah. it. And um, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your insights. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, you, you've retired and you still are thinking about these things of helping people, of trying to guide them, but offering strategies to help us. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Bye.